man, it is so good to see so many new faces and a few faces I haven't seen in a while. It's good. Love seeing everybody in church. And man, I know you probably saw, if you've walked through the doors, maybe you see the shirts that are running around here. But the title of this series is a one-off series, really, a run-off conversation. But you can write, Roll, the stone was rolled across the top of your paper or rolled stone. Uh, stone was rolled for you. Anything in that realm, you can write that across the top of your paper for the conversation today. And, you know, one of the interesting things is, is you know, when, when, when you are, uh, when you're young and, and you're, you're in school, I mean, how many, how many guys have ever been in that place where you were working hard for something, you were in the middle of working hard for something, and you come, you're coming to the end of it, and you're starting to anticipate all that is to come. All the reality of the hard work, knowing that the, 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 there's going to be a change in your existence. I mean, I know for me, being in school and you're, you're dreaming about what life will be like, you're there, you're, you're studying for tests, you're getting ready, you're taking tests, you're doing all different things, and you come to the, the, the end of your education and you start thinking, man, what is the job that I'm going to get? Maybe you already have the job. And then you're like, what's the role or the responsibility that I'm going to have with inside of that job? You start to dream about what exactly it's going to look like. But you don't know exactly the full story behind what's going to be played out. What opportunities that will stand in your future. Maybe the responsibility in which you have, the, the pain and or the challenge in which you're going to have to walk through. And as I found out very early on as I, I moved from schooling into a responsibility in the workplace was, about a month in I realized I have to do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> the rest of my life. Wake up, hold responsibility, do well, or I'm not going to get paid, and I'm not going to provide for my family. Great. This is awesome. It's a little daunting. Now, hopefully you love what you do, right? The whole statement on, man, you, 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 uh, you work and doing what you love, you'll never work a day of your life. Hopefully you're doing that. But the reality is the tension behind, man, this is it. This is my responsibility. And it's a daunting one, but yet unknown what the future holds. You know, talking to young mothers, you can, you can talk to them about, man, all the excitement around, or say, say pregnant moms, I should say, pregnant women, which is not a, yes, they are, whatever they are, I don't know. Um, my wife's the OB-GYN, I'm not. But women that are pregnant, they're in this period of like dreaming and believing and thinking about the future. Man, what is it going to be? Who are they going to look like? How's it, mommy, you know, how am I going to be as a mom? All this like thinking. I've yet to talk to a mom to be like, I'm not very excited about the process of bringing this human into the world. It's almost like this, this thought isn't there, right? It's just like, oh my God, it's this amazing thing and it's going to be incredible. And not to give any type of imagery around that, but I'm just saying, moms aren't there like, I don't know about birth and this is going to be horrible and I don't know, I'm so scared, I'm, af I'm afraid, I don't know what's going to happen. I've never talked to a mom. They're dreaming about what it's going to be like, the, the joy of being a mom. You think about in your engagement, when you talk to people that are engaged, it's all euphoria, right? All euphoria. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be incredible. We're going to love each other every day of our lives. We're never going to get in a fight. It's going to be incredible. And then you get six months in and it's like, man, where's the butterflies at? Their breast stinks. I don't like them. They don't do what they said they're going to do. And just a very quick note to people that are engaged, whatever you do the first week of your marriage is expected for the entirety of your marriage. All that to say, just don't do very much the first week. <laughs> and then it's up from there, amen? <laughs> I just helped out a couple right now. You're going to make it now in Jesus' name. You're welcome. But the reality, right? You, you, you have the hope of, but you can step into the tension of. And who knows what the future holds? You know, I love in Hebrews, it talks about in Hebrews that the hope set before Jesus he endured the cross. It was the hope of what was to come. What was he, he was going to do? That there was this process that he was willing to endure. He was willing to endure through the cross for what was on the other side of that. And oftentimes success inside of our life is not, not being frustrated in the reality of what we are walking in, but living by the hope of what is to come. That man, when we operate in faithfulness and obedience and hard work as employees, God brings opportunity for our future. And when we operate in obedience and loyalty and commitment inside of our marriages, our marriages will be blessed. And when we operate in this place of, man, the pain to move children from one state to the next and operate in good, 
parents that are bringing good authority to our children, that our children are going to be set up for success. Oh, there's challenges. Last night, my three-year-old at 11 o'clock at night, on the night before Easter 2022, begins to vehemently throw up every 20 minutes all night long. 30 minutes before that, my six-year-old runs out of her room on a dead sprint into our living room. I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? It's Easter. God, what have you done to me? The reality of what we live in may not be what we expect, but we press through for the blessing that God has in our future. And here we are on an Easter Sunday, the hope set before Jesus, he's enduring the cross. And here's the beauty, Jesus knew what the reality was, what was going to happen. Jesus knew when he began to illustrate and model this for his, his disciples, he began to articulate to this, this to his disciples, but yet they did not understand exactly what he was saying. The Bible would tell us that Mary, this woman, two days before the Passover celebration, which would be this last Friday, the Passover celebration, Mary, this woman, formerly a prostitute, a woman would walk into this celebration, this meal that Jesus was having with his disciples. And while Jesus is there around the table, this woman would walk in with a very expensive bottle of perfume. The Bible would tell us that's a year's worth of wages. She would just walk in literally to this celebration, Jesus sitting down, and she would pour this perfume, this oil over the head of Jesus. Put yourself in the position, you're just hanging out, somebody throws some oil over you, you're going to be like, say, what? I mean, it's a pretty like, what is going on here? If you're witnessing this, you're saying, what in the world is going on here? I know what that perfume is. I know the cost of that perfume. Why in the world would you waste it just by pouring it over the head of this man? It doesn't make sense to me. And Jesus would lean into the conversation and all the confusion, all the judgment. Jesus would press back and say, hey, leave this woman alone. She's preparing my body for burial. She's anointing my head, she's anointing my body, preparing this body for what is to come, burial. Here Jesus was spiritually ready for what was going to happen. He was articulating himself. He would say to the, the Jewish people at one moment in time, I'm going to destroy this temple and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. People did not understand when he was sitting with his disciples, he said, the time has come for, for the Son of Man to be glorified. They didn't understand what he was speaking, yet Jesus kept on articulating to humanity that earthly ministry is over and it's time for the Son of Man to do ultimately what you can't do in and of yourself. His time has come to be handed over to humanity. Jesus, you fast forward two days later on the day of celebration, the Passover celebration. The day of Passover celebration is the moment in time recognized whenever the children of Israel were in Egypt. And plagues are wreaking out on the Egyptians. In this moment in time where the firstborns would be, uh, be killed all over the land of Egypt, but to God's chosen people, he said, kill a lamb and put the blood, uh, the atonement blood, to stand in the place of these firstborns. From then on, when, when the, 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 the death of, uh, uh, of the people was, was passed over, there's a celebration, Passover celebration, when God passed over his people and did not kill them. It's a celebration that they would get together and literally have a lamb in the middle of the room killed, representing the lamb that was slain, that was, uh, stood in the place for them at that moment in time. And Jesus is around in an upper room with his disciples. This is the celebration that we know as Jesus breaking bread and drinking wine and making this statement, as often as you do this, remember my body which was broken for you and remember the new covenant God has made between humanity. But one thing we do overlook, and it's not talked about often in the communion story, that at this supper with the disciples, Jesus didn't just say something to remember him by because ultimately he was speaking to the reality of what would happen, his body being broken and his blood being spilled. But he modeled for humanity how in which we should live. The Bible would tell us that around this table, before he broke the bread and drank the wine, he would stand up from his seat, grab a towel, and then he would lower himself down to his disciples, and he would begin to wash their feet. This is an uncommon thing that a rabbi would humble himself before his disciples and wash their feet. It would be the opposite. The disciples would wash the feet of the rabbi. 
But Jesus would flip the script even to the end, would find himself in a place to say, here I am. You don't understand the work that I'm about to do. My time is ending, but let me model for you, not just in word, but in deed. If you're going to be my follower, this is how you conduct yourself. Peter would look at him and say, Jesus, not me. Don't wash my feet. I'm not, I'm not worthy that you would wash my feet. And Jesus would look at Peter and say, unless I wash you, you will not be mine. Sitting back down at the table, you'd look at his disciples and say, the way in which I have served you is the way you must serve each other. He modeled to the very end how we should conduct ourselves as followers of his. Jesus was ready spiritually for what he was about to do. He was ready mentally for what he was about to do. Because you fast forward from this scene, he would find himself at the Passover meal and said, the one that is going to betray me, you can go ahead and leave right now. Everybody thought it was Judas because Judas was, or everybody, uh, Judas would leave at that moment in time, but everybody thought Judas was leaving for the purpose that he was the, the, the money changer. He was the, not the money changer, he was, the, he was over the money. And they were thinking, oh, Peter's leaving right now because he's in charge of the money and he's going to go pay for the meal. But little did they know that Jesus had already made a deal with the high priest to betray Jesus. And Judas would leave at that moment in time and go to the high council and say, I know where the Son of Man is going to be. I know where Jesus is going to be. So you move beyond the Passover meal and Jesus would find himself in a place, the Garden of Gethsemane, just outside of the city. And he is a place that he would often go. That's where Judas knew, why Judas knew he was definitely going to go there. Jesus would go to the Garden of Gethsemane often in order to connect with his heavenly Father. One of the interesting things that Jesus would do at this time as, he's begin, as he prays just before he's handed over, a key thing Jesus would say is he, just before he was handed over was, God, if this, if this cup of wrath would pass from me, is it your will that the cup of wrath would pass from me? If, it, if it, it's not, this is not what you have planned, then let it pass from me. The cup of wrath is the cup of judgment. Every single person in this room has made decisions that defy the law of God. And it, with that, there's a penalty by death upon every person's head. The wrath of death in a cup. Jesus knew what he was about to do. If, it, if this cup of wrath should pass from me, God, let it be. But what you find, Jesus was ready. He was ready spiritually by being anointed. He was ready physically. And he was ready inside of his mind. I'd say mind, body, and soul, Jesus was ready for what was about to happen. Because he sat there in the garden. Obviously, if you know the story, his disciples would fall asleep on him. But Jesus was fully engaged. Let this cup of wrath pass from me. But a key statement Jesus would make is, not my will be done, but yours. If it is your will, let your will be done. Not my will be done. And in this grief, the Bible would tell us that in this grief and this full understanding of what the cost of the weight of man would be, that Jesus would begin to sweat, and not only just begin to sweat, but he would begin to sweat drops of blood. The level of anxiety and the level of, level of tension on the inside that Jesus was feeling, knowing the price to be paid, knowing the cost of the weight of sin for humanity, Jesus began to sweat, and with that began to sweat blood. He was a man that was fully prepared, mind, body, and soul, to pay the ultimate price for all of humanity. He was fully man and fully God. He who was without sin became sin for the righteousness of humanity. He rose from that moment of time of prayer, God's will, not my will. He would move from that place hearing that the guards, the Roman guards and the high priest guards would be running into the Garden of Gethsemane coming with this message. We're coming, looking for the son, our, our Jesus of Nazareth. We're coming to look for Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus would look at him and say, who are you looking for? We're coming to find Jesus of Nazareth. And I love inside of this story that the, men, the Roman guards would jump back and the Jewish guards would jump back and the Bible says that they would fall to the ground. And he would say again, who are you looking for? He said, Jesus of Nazareth, and he would say this, I am he. I am he. Immediate, immediately at this moment, they knew he was the one they were coming for. Judas said, hey, 
man on which I kiss on the cheek and this, this embrace would happen right here. Judas would kiss him on the cheek and that moment in time it was, this is the man, let's lock him up, let's grab hold of him right here. And here's the deal, anybody in here, you have a ride or die friend with you that the moment that it goes down, they're quick on the trigger to be like, what's up? Right, you know when you're with John or you're with Terry or you know whenever you're with Jackie, I'm just saying J names, I don't know why, but okay. You know who they are. Whenever you're with these individuals and something pops off, okay, let me just say it a little more for universal. Something goes down. There's an altercation, okay? There's an issue that needs to be resolved, right? Your character is being, you know, questioned, right? Somebody's trying to harm you, aka something pops off, okay? You got a friend that's like, say what? Say who? Oh, right now, okay. <laughs> There's Peter right behind Jesus, a loyalist, a committed individual, individual that said, you know what, I'm ready. I'm looking for, you're not going to die, Jesus, but I know you, we're going to raise an army up. Let's go. We're going to get this army going. We're going to fight in Jesus' name. So what happens? It pops off. Let's arrest this man. He's like, not, not today, Jesus. <laughs> Hello. Pulls out the sword. And he's precise enough just to cut off an ear. Now, here's the deal. You can be critical. You can be critical. Peter, I don't know why he's so angry, but I'll tell you this, we get angry whenever people come after our friends too. And they're about to arrest Jesus, not, not on my watch. Scholars believe that, it, I mean, they know it's the right ear of the individual that's cut off, so they believe that it was, uh, that Peter was a right-handed individual. And the only way that can happen is that if this person was turned, had his back turned. So you can get critical around Peter, he was just trying to pop off, but maybe he did something while a person's back was turned. Nonetheless, he was committed. He was loyal. He was trying to protect his savior. He wanted to see an army raised up. He wanted to press against the Roman Empire. He wanted to reestablish the Jewish people. He was trying to fight. Jesus would look at him and say, do you not want the will of the Father to be done? Do you not want the will of the Father to be done? Oftentimes, it's easier for us to understand a physical situation, a physical altercation than it is for us to understand a spiritual one. Peter wanted the battle to be of flesh and blood, but we already know the battle is not of flesh and blood, but of principalities of the unseen world. Jesus did something far greater. Jesus was set yet to model what the weapon was going to, what the weapon that was going to be used was not one of physical, but one of spiritual love expressed towards humanity in the life of one man being laid down. Jesus would be handed over at that moment in time. He would go from a pretrial into a trial. He would stand before the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin right here at the, the high council of the Sanhedrin, uh, 70 individuals that would oversee the Jewish law. They knew the, the Jewish law to a T. They knew all prophecies. They knew how the law came together. They knew all 613 things that they'd written into the original Ten Commandments. They knew it all. And what they had the ability to do is sentence someone to death based on breaking the law of man, the Jewish law. Standing before the high council, they would say to him, are you the son of God? We demand uh, by the name of God that you tell us, are you the son of God? And what would you say? I am he. I am he. They would say, okay, what more do we need to hear? He's a man that said he's going to tear down the temple and raise it in three days. But here's a little caveat here. Jesus didn't say he was going to tear down the temple. He said, I'm going to tear down this temple. I'm going to tear down this temple and I'm going to raise it in three days. He would, he would say that, and at that moment in time, these individuals, there's a law in Leviticus that says, it is blasphemy to say that you will tear down the temple. It is sentenced by death, by stoning, that if you say you're going to tear down the, the temple, you can be sentenced to die. So they use that moment right there. You think you're the son of God, and you've said that you are going to tear down the temple. We sentence him to die. They don't have the power in order to kill. They're in a Roman empire. They have the spiritual ability to, to uh, 
uh, sentence people, but they didn't have the authority in order to kill. So what did they do? They sent Jesus off to Pontius Pilate. He spends a, a, a brief amount of time with Herod Antipas, and he's back with Pilate. Pilate's the governor at that moment in time, the Roman governor that has the authority to sentence people to die. He stands before Jesus and he's saying, why in the world do these people want to kill you? I don't understand what's going on here. What have you done wrong? Multiple different times, on two different times, he's saying, I just don't understand it. He'd bring him back out to the people and say, man, I find him, I find no fault with him. I'm going to hand him back over to you. And they would say, no, you are the only one that has the ability to crucify him. He'd come back in and punch the pile. He's like, I just don't understand what's going down here. I see no fault with you. I see no fault. He takes him out a, a second time. And they're like, crucify him. We don't want anything to do with him. Brings back in, and this is Pontius Pilate's like, I just don't get it. Well, I'm just going to have him flogged. Now, this is where you see, if you've ever seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, Jesus is connected to a post, and they begin to beat him with a lead whip. There's fragments of bone on here, there's pieces of lead on there, all of it to drive a greater impact. The purpose behind this is that the penalty of sin had to be dealt with. It had, the price of sin had to be paid for. And Jesus, being strapped to a post, was a man that was beaten by Roman officers. You don't know the story. Maybe you don't understand the story at this moment in time. Just two days later, or two days earlier, or a couple days earlier, there's a man named Barabbas that was a revolutionary in the time that was a loyalist to the Jewish people that was trying to rebel against the Jewish, or rebel against the Roman Empire. It's believed that as he was coming into Jerusalem, he had an altercation with the Roman officers. And Barabbas is an individual that killed a Roman officer. At that moment in time, he was grabbed and he was locked up. And he was sentenced to die for killing a Roman officer. He lay in prison waiting for his death. He's in a place where he's waiting for his death. Roman officers, you can imagine, a friend of theirs has just been killed. The amount of frustration they have, they're whipping Jesus in this frustration. One of our friends has just died. Who is this man? They begin to mock him. King of the Jews, save yourself. The Roman officers would throw a robe on him, put a crown of thorns on him, hail king, take him back to Pilate. And on the morning of Friday morning, they would bring Jesus out. Pontius Pilate would bring Jesus out in one last attempt to say, is the harsh beating of this man enough to satisfy your anger? Is the harsh beating on this man enough that you would give him grace? Pilate in his wisdom said, I got an idea. Every year I bring somebody out, a prisoner out, and I put it before the Jewish people because they say their God is merciful and their God is graceful. And since he passed over their people during Passover, I'm going to bring somebody out that they can illustrate and they can model their grace for humanity. And I believe by bringing him out before these people, they will look at this man that they call, a man that they falsely accuse, a man in which the high priest have so much hatred for, because this man that has this a, a gift and this ability to communicate ideas and concepts of the word that they've never had the ability to do, this guy that is receiving praise that they've always longed to receive, this guy that has power that's far greater than human effort, is now having people turn away from the Jewish power system and turn towards Jesus. And with this anger in their hearts, they would look upon this man and say, crucify him. Crucify him. We want Barabbas, the revolutionary. We would rather want him than, the, than this man that has this great ability that we are unwilling to lay down and surrender our life. Picture this moment here. God is bringing his son out before his chosen people and saying, do you recognize me in the love of this man? I'm giving you an opportunity. The power you have has been given by me. I've set up the entire authority structure that you have, but you are trying to grab hold of that authority and not operate in grace. 
A key statement Jesus would make is, you're whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but your inside is tore up. What is it? You know how to act, but you are not surrendered to the Lord. You don't know how to live. He gave them up, the, up to the last moment. God gave his people an opportunity to look upon Jesus Christ and say our anger is satisfied in his beating. But it wasn't enough. They wanted his death. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They would say this, we have no king other than Caesar. We have no king other than Caesar. Caesar was the greatest power upon the face of the earth at that moment in time. He ruled over the Roman Empire, the most ruthless, prosperous empire that has ever existed on the face of the earth at that moment in time. And the Jewish people said, we have no king other than the one that has the most power on this earth. Their anger drove them to a point that they would not surrender to the Son of God. They just wanted to surrender to a man that had power. And the tension around this moment is, it's the same thing we battle with to the moment in time today. It's the same thing we battle with. Jesus in that moment would move from crucify him, crucify him, strap a cross to his back, carry it up to Golgotha's hill, the hill of the skull. He would hang on a cross and he would pay the ultimate price. He was built for, beat for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He who was without sin became sin for our righteousness. As Jesus was hanging on that cross, carrying the weight of humanity's sin, the just punishment of the law, death, as he's carrying that, there's three statements Jesus would make to finalize all of this. The first one is this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus hanging on a cross knowing what he is paying for. In this moment, no sin can enter the presence of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time, Jesus feeling the full weight of sin upon his shoulders. But is God not being present? But his heavenly Father not being present? It's the moment in time when sin was dealt with that scholars believe that at that moment in time the price was paid and God looked away from his son because he could not look on sin and Jesus dealt with the issue that every human has, the every human issue, sin. We have fallen short of the glory of a heavenly father. We may be living by the acceptance of humanity. We may be living by the desires of our choices. But we could be defying God, the authority of heaven and earth. The Bible says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The second statement Jesus made is, it is finished. What does that mean? Translated in Greek, it has been paid in full. The sin, the debt of humanity has been paid in full. It is finished. It's done. And the last thing is, is just after he said it was finished, he looked up towards heaven and said, I, unto you I commit my spirit. Unto you I commit my spirit. This isn't written in the Bible, but popular belief is this, that Barabbas is the first person that stand, stood at the cross in our place. Barabbas, a revolutionary against the Roman government, killed somebody and he was sentenced to die when Jesus is brought out. Who do you want to release? Who do you want to give grace to? Barabbas. Jesus stood in his place. It should have been Barabbas on that cross. But it was Jesus. And popular belief is that Barabbas was at the cross confused by this. I should be the one on that cross. I should be the one paying the price of my decisions. I should be the one, but this man, Jesus, is standing in my place. Who is this man that he would do this for me? 
Barabbas is the first one that stood in substitutionary atonement for all of humanity. He should have received the punishment, but Jesus stood in his place. It's the same is true for every individual inside this room right now. We all have debt of sin. We all should be hanging on a cross. But it's the love of a heavenly father that came down to earth and experienced everything we experience. But he did something for all of us that none of us can do inside of ourselves. Save us from our sin. Jesus would tell his followers, hey, I'm going just before Passover, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then when the time it comes, I'm going to come back and get you, and you're going to go with me. And they're like, oh, Jesus, we don't know where you're going, buddy. We don't know where you're going. We don't know what you're talking about. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. If you want to you break that down, Jesus is saying, here's the deal. I am the Son of God. I am the way. I'm the way to live. I am the way to an eternal Father. I am the way to eternal life. I am the truth. I am the truth of humanity. I am the Son of God sent here to die for humanity, for humanity, the sin of humanity. I am here to display the love of a heavenly Father. And I am the life. You can live, but you will not experience life. You will live on this earth, but you're not going to experience life. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Every person. Every person. Every person in this room has to sit in this moment, in the tension of this moment right here. It should have been us. There's a great song on that. Should have been me. Or wait, it should have been us. Whatever it is. That Kelly Clarkson, I have no clue. Okay. Should have been us. Should have been us. You get it from this moment, Jesus hanging on the cross, and it's, it's pretty interesting that they didn't want these bodies hanging on the day of Passover. So they wanted to speed up the process of death. And at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the, the authorities said, go out and break their legs so that they, the weight of their, their body, they couldn't hold themselves up anymore to breathe. So the weight of their body would collapse down on them, and their lungs would be collapsed, and they would no longer be able to get oxygen into their body, and they would suffocate. The Roman guards would go out and look upon these three, these three individuals hanging on the cross, Jesus in the middle, and they would see that both these individuals were still alive on the right and left of Jesus, but Jesus himself was already dead. By three o'clock in the afternoon, two of these other individuals were still alive. Their legs were broken. Now, I say that to say this, the torture that Jesus went through was so brutal that he succumbed to the torture, the price of our sin, before two other people on his left and right. He was beat for our iniquities. Feel the weight of that. He took it wholly, completely, and paid it fully. Now upon dying, there's two individuals that would show up at the cross to deal with the body of Jesus Christ. You get a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a person on the high council. He's an intellectual individual. He's a smart individual. He's an individual that's very wealthy, one of the wealthiest men in Jerusalem. He's an individual that came to Jesus to try to figure out who Jesus was in the middle of the night saying, Jesus, who are you? And Jesus took him back to the fundamentals and said, man, unless you become born again, you will not, uh, you will not inherit eternal life. And Nicodemus is like, I'm so confused right now. What are you talking about? How can we go back into our mother's womb? What do you mean? Nicodemus was an individual on the high council that heard all the accusations, knew the plans that were coming. But when literally the body of Christ is dead and most vulnerable, the literal body, you see Nicodemus step into the picture. There's another man, Joseph of Arimathea, that stepped into the picture. And I'll say this today inside of this house for every person that maybe you are coming back to church. Maybe you've been absent from church since covid Maybe you're an owner at Pearl Street. Maybe you're an owner or somewhere else. But here's the deal. The, the literal body of Christ was vulnerable. And two individuals that had influence and had wealth stepped into the picture in order to care for the literal body of Jesus Christ when it was most vulnerable. They were willing to leverage their influence and their resources to literally care for the body of Christ. 
And let me speak to you today if you're a mature believer inside of here. But there's something that has hindered you. There's something that has caught you up. The literal body of Christ in our culture today is under attack. And I would yet dare to say that the literal body of Christ, the church, is under attack around the world. I'm speaking to a few people today that if you're a mature believer, can you be a Nicodemus? Can you be a Joseph of Arimathea in this season? That you would literally leverage your resources and your influence in order to protect the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ in this season. This is your hour, this is your time. The moment that the, the, the message of Jesus Christ hits your heart when you were a boy. In all those years of serving the Lord faithfully and commitment and all the sacrifice. And today, you're comfortable. It's not time to get comfortable. It's time to rise up and say, I got what God has blessed me with and I'm going to use what God has given me in order to bless the body of Christ and support it when it is most vulnerable. My responsibility. My responsibility. These two individuals took the body of Christ down, 75 pounds of, uh, of, of uh, spices and 75 pounds of, of oils, all of this put together. It's, it's expensive. But they were wealthy and they brought it together and they wrapped Jesus' body and they, they, they put all the spices and the ointment on him that as his body began to decay, the smell would be contained. Literally, Joseph of Arimathea just had a new tomb that was built and it was close to uh, Golgotha's hill. And they would take him to Joseph of Arimathea's tomb and they would lay him in. For three days, Jesus would sit Friday Saturday, Sunday, he would sit inside of this tomb. Disciples wondering what's next? What does this mean? What does all this come to? We thought it was going to be this. He said that. This is the reality of what he meant behind that. And this is the reality of what we thought. There is no revolutionary army rising up to establish a kingdom here on this earth. Jesus said it back to Pilate. My kingdom is not of this world. If so, we would have rose up an army against you. My kingdom's not of this world. In that moment, in the waiting period, humanity sat there waiting for three days on what's going to happen. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? You find a story where Mary... Magdalene would run towards the tomb on Sunday. Running over, she would find that the stone would be rolled back. If you read in Matthew, this great earthquake happened and the angel of the Lord rolled the stone back and he would say this, that man, the Son of God has risen just as he said he would. And John, you flip over, you find Mary Magdalene showing up and she's looking into the tomb and the disciples are looking into the tomb and they're saying, where is the body? Tell us where the body is. Mary Magdalene, tell us where the body is. Tell us where it's at and we're going to go get him. Two angels sitting inside of the, the tomb at that moment in time would say, man, he's risen. He's not here. She would turn around and Jesus would be in the doorway, but she thought he was a gardener over this place. She says, where is he at? Looking in the eyes of Jesus, but not recognizing him. Where is he at? Tell me where he's at. And he would look at her and say, Mary, just the way that Jesus spoke and said her name, she immediately knew he was Jesus. Immediately knew he was Jesus. The third day, this day, Easter Sunday, is a moment that we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday that a man that said, I will destroy this temple in three, uh, I'll destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it back to life. I will rebuild it. The man that said that is the same person that came out of that grave that day by the power of God at work inside of his life. And as the disciples went to see this man, they came to a realization that our God was doing something far different than a literal army. He was conquering death, hell, and the grave. Oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your sting? The only thing Satan had over humanity is death. What happens after death? But our, our God is raised to life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone that comes to me will receive eternal life. And he brought hope. Humanity waited three days. And the question I'm asking here today is, 
There's a God that is waiting on you. Humanity waited for three days. We don't know what this means, but they came to a quick realization that our God has the power to conquer death, hell, and the grave. And if he can do that, he can give us eternal hope. But maybe you're sitting in this room here today and God is waiting on you. The stone of death was rolled when Jesus came out. But maybe the stone of death is still on your life. Every person is born into sin. We are walking dead. We're dead in Christ. Our sin has, has separated us from God. We are dead according to our decisions. But that's why Jesus says, those that come to me will receive eternal life. Receive eternal life. We are dead. Jesus paid the price. And God is waiting. How much longer does God have to wait before the stone of death is rolled on your life? And the work of the cross can flood you and you can move from living to a life full of Jesus Christ. How much longer does God need to wait? How much longer? Jesus looked at Mary and called her by name. Called her by name, Mary. Here's the deal, we serve a God that knows your name. He knows who you are, he knows what you've done, and he laid his life down for you. He has a plan and he's got a purpose for you. He wants to change your life. John 10, 10, he's come to give us life and life abundantly. That's what he's come to do. But he is the way, the truth, and the life. We gotta come to surrender for him. You know, Jesus, when he started his ministry, he fasted for 40 days. At the end of the fast, he was presented with three different things. The last thing he was presented with was this. Satan took him up on a high mountain, looked over all the earth and said, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. And, key statement here, and its glory. Praise, glory, praise, same thing. The glory, the praise. I will give you it all, but one thing you gotta do is you gotta surrender and serve me. If you surrender and serve me, I'll give you it all. What's crazy is, is Jesus, if he did at that moment in time what Satan wanted him to do, he would have been received by the Jews. They would have been exactly what he wanted. If he would have surrendered to Satan and said, give me it all, all the glory and all the kingdoms, the Jewish people would have rose up and said, look, he is our king. Look, he has the, all the earth. He's got an empire here. He's got the glory upon the earth. Everybody would have, he is, but yet they would not have known that he was serving the opposite of who they thought. Let me just tell you today, that question is proposed to every person upon the face of the earth. Who will you serve? Who will you serve? The Jews said, we only have one king and it's King Caesar. That's our king. He's the God of this world. Let me just tell you today, the Bible is very clear. Satan is the God of this world. The, the question that is posed to all of humanity is, do you know about Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Have you experienced Jesus? And if you know you believe and you have experienced, then let's surrender to him. Because now we have a new king. We got a new Lord. And that Lord, that king is not of this world. The king of this world wants us to defy the will of the Father. The, the, the king of this world says your will, not his. The king of this world says go as you feel, not as you're directed. That's the way the God of this world works. And Jesus himself had to say, no, we shall put no other God, or we shall serve no other God. 
he came back at, at Satan. And I'm asking you today, how much longer does God need to wait for you to roll the stone of death on your life and receive life through the power of Jesus Christ? How many of you guys are in a place today where you know the story? Maybe you've grown up and you heard the story as you're growing up in church, but something happened along the line and your belief is shaken. Maybe today you sit here in belief. You say, I know the story of Jesus. I believe this story. But it's, you've never experienced Jesus. He's never called you by name. It's been an intellectual pursuit, but not a heart capture. Every single disciple had a moment with Jesus where he called them back into ministry. If you saw me die, but I ain't dead, I'm alive. They had an experience with him. And maybe it's been a long time since you have an experience and today your commitment is waning. Paul would say this, I didn't come in my ability, but I came in the power, the demonstration of the power of God. And today I presented the idea of the work of a man here on this earth that did something for you and I. The question is, is it enough for you to know it and believe it? But maybe if you haven't experienced it, you're not ready to surrender. If you want to experience Jesus Christ here today, I'm going to ask us to stand up to our feet. I'm going to do two different altar calls here today because I want us to receive something. I presented in my ability. I'm called to be a pastor. I'm called to articulate the gospel. I'm called to, to preach God's word. That's my gifting. That's my talent. And if I can't persuade, I shouldn't be up here. But here's the deal. I'm not here in my ability. I'm standing in the belief that the power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that can meet you in this place today. I'm not saying surrender by my words. What I am saying is surrender by the power of Jesus Christ being revealed in your life. So what we're going to do is, if you are in a place where you've never had an experience with Jesus, where you have felt the dunamis power of God in your life, we have prayed, we have believed for this moment that the supernatural God that raised Christ from the dead would be present in this place, not by per persuasion, but by his supernatural power. Now what I want you to do is, if you want to receive and have a moment with Jesus, if that's the intention of your heart, we just believe that God's going to be God, and we don't have to do anything about it. Either he's real or he is not. And if you're ready to receive, we're going to sing out a song. You just begin to say, God, move in my life. I want to feel this power. I think I know Jesus. I think I know the story of it. I think I believe in it. But we want you, we want you to move in this place and, and move in our hearts here today. So just open your life up here today and receive what Jesus has for you. God. 
receive eternal life through Jesus Christ. If you're ready to come to this place of surrender, not my will, just like Jesus, but your will be done, God. If you're willing to give up the lordship of your life, say, God, I'm here to live in your kingdom, not my, for my glory, but for yours. Not for my glory, for yours. It's a simple prayer coming to a place where we say, Jesus, you paid the price for our sins. You are the Messiah. You are the Savior. And we want you to forgive us. Come into our hearts. Make us new here today. It's a simple prayer. But it's a prayer of surrender. That now you have conquered death, hell, and the grave. So therefore, you will be our Lord. If he has the power to conquer death, hell, and the grave, then he has the ability to be your Lord. We're in a new kingdom. So if you want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, that from this day forward, you will not live for your glory, but for his. Let's give up. Let's give up our free will. And let's put our lives in the hands of Jesus Christ. The last thing Jesus said on the cross is, unto you I commit my spirit. Let's commit our spirits to Jesus Christ if that's you here today. Let's pray this and pray with me if you want to surrender your life to Jesus. Say, Jesus, we thank you that you paid the price for our sin, that you conquered death, hell, and the grave, and you have the power to give us life. Come into our hearts. Make us new today. We're going to live our lives for you by your power, with your spirit, to the day we take our last breath. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody says, amen, and amen, and amen, amen. Now here's the deal. I'm going to do a second altar call here. And I know you're thinking, man, it is hot up in here, and I've never sweated this much in church. Good. Good. Because here's the deal, before Jesus ever had a hand laid on him, he was already sweating for you. And he wasn't just sweating, he was sweating blood. So if a little bit of sweat is going to cause us to miss a moment with God, man, we may be just be a little too comfortable. If you think about this, Judas was close to Jesus. Judas was close to Jesus. But Judas still had a stone of greed that was in his heart. John 10, 10, I said a minute ago, Jesus has come to give life and life abundantly. But here's the deal Jesus said on the front end of that. The enemy, Satan, has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Which means this, that somebody, if Satan is coming to kill, then somebody has to have life. And what we know Jesus has given us life through his resurrection, through his salvation. So you may be in here with salvation, but the enemy is coming to kill the life you have in Christ. He's coming to steal the joy you have for your life through Jesus Christ. And he's coming to destroy you. Blots you out as if you never existed. The only way he can do it is if you had something first. And here today, Judas was close to Jesus, but he didn't deal with the stone that is in his heart. All he had to do is go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I got this issue. I got this problem. And man, it's stealing from me. It's killing me. God has destroyed me. Help me. And since he was unwilling to do it, it's the very vulnerability the enemy used to betray Jesus and take his life. You may think you're good today. Oh, I'm good. I know Jesus. But you're operating in sin. You got secret things inside of your heart. You got some alcoholism. You got some, you got some greediness on the inside of your heart. 
And maybe one of the greatest roots that operates inside of the church is unforgiveness. Here's the deal. The enemy wants to come and use something to get you to betray Jesus. Use something just to you, betray Jesus. Look. But all Jesus is saying is come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me and I will empower you. I will strengthen you. I will deal with you, your issues. My question to you today, what stone needs to be rolled inside of your life today? Maybe it's a stone of belief, greed, lust, whatever it may be. And this stone needs to be dealt with because you're being killed and you're being stolen from and you're being destroyed. So we're gonna sing a song here. What I pray is that you have the humility to surrender before Jesus Christ and say, I'm dealing with this. It's gonna be finished today. I'm no longer walking in this anymore. I'm no longer holding on to this anymore. I'm no longer allowing this to dictate my life. I'm no longer allowing this to kill my faith. I'm no longer allowing this to rob me of life. I'm no longer allowing this to destroy me. It's being done right here. It is finished in Jesus' name. Come on, let's sing it out.
you're saying, man, I just need to pray with somebody. We got our team that is all over there at the back of these aisles. If you want to do that as we're releasing service, you can do that. But here's the deal. We want you leaving today with every stone that is hindering your faith, with everything that's holding you back from fully surrendering your life. We want every stone rolled in your life that you can come alive with the power of Jesus Christ. That is the heart for our house. We do not serve a dead God, we serve a God that is alive. We serve a God that takes dead things and brings them back to life. It's what we believe today. So God, we come to you, fallible and broken people, trusting you with our lives. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've done on the cross. And Lord, we thank you that you continue to help us bear the burden of life. You continually forgive us. You continually extend your hand of grace towards us. And today I pray, Lord, that, Father, maybe some seeds of faith were planted, God. Maybe they've been watered, but Lord, I just thank you for every life, all the increase, God. Those that have reconnected with you, those that have come to you for the first time, God. May you empower them, may you enrich them, may you strengthen them, God. May you be healed in anything they've experienced in their lives. God, every stone that's been rolled across this auditorium, God, maybe with individuals that have held on to things for so long, that Lord, they don't even know if they're a believer anymore. The fire of faith is far gone, and today you've reignited them. You put a passion back on the inside of them. You called them out of the shadows. God, you brought them up to a higher calling. God, you've inspired them to a, a new level of responsibility, God. Father, I pray for clarity upon calling in this house tonight, or today. Clarity upon the calling. There's precision around what you spoke. There's new revelation that's been revealed, God that even in the mouth of the enemy that's coming to kill, steal, and destroy, it has no power. To whom the Son is set free is free indeed in Jesus' name. Free in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Come on, can we give it up for Jesus in the house here today? We thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you still need prayer as service is over, just make your way down. Our team will be here. But man, Easter 2022. <laughs> if you don't know this, you know there's... Perry Street is historically known for prostitution in our city. You know, it could be thought around that is the things that have happened on Cherry Street in the past, many have kept it on Cherry Street because of shame. And here's the deal, people may walk through these doors in shame, but what we believe is happening on Cherry Street is that our church is rolling into this area of the city that no longer what happens on Cherry Street is gonna stay on Cherry Street but the freedom that is found in this place and the shame that is released out of this place is gonna be known inside of our city. It's gonna reverberate throughout the city. So man, if you don't have a church home, come along for the journey. We just got a lot of tension. We got a lot of tension between here and then, okay? We got a lot, like six, seven months before we're actually in here. And uh, there might be some more money we need, okay? My, my need, you know? But God's got it all. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, so we don't worry. He's got the provision. We just got the vision in Jesus' name. So if you want to come along for the journey, we say, come along for the journey. Just enjoy the hope set before us and endure the current pain that we live in here today with a small building, all right? We love you. God bless you. No, uh, Derek, take us away, my dude. Well, come on, can we give it up for Jesus one more time here today? Amen.
Well, hey, if you accepted Jesus for the first time today, man, just know that there is a party going on in heaven just for you. And uh, we definitely want to walk alongside you in your journey. So go ahead. Your next step today would be to text Pearl Street to 94000. And we'll have somebody connect with you again to walk alongside you in your new journey with Jesus. Now, man, next week we have a special week going down. If you have any God questions, we want to answer those. So if you have any questions about God, about the Bible, you're going to have an opportunity to submit those questions. So text God and the letter Q to 94000 and you'll have an opportunity to submit your questions and we want to answer those next Sunday. Now if you haven't yet, go ahead and fill one of these out if it's your first time. Hit up our VIP tent, get connected, get your free drink. Other than that, have a great rest of your day. Enjoy your Easter with your family. We love you. We're praying for you and have a good rest of your week.